0: Gévedon region in the south of France doesn't exist anymore. After the French Revolution of 1789, it became part of the Department of Logère. It's a mountainous area broken up by patches of marshland and rocky terrain. The people who lived there prior to the revolution were mainly farmers and poor peasants, well removed from the wealthier and ostensibly more sophisticated Parisians far to the north. In Paris, the concepts of spirits and witchcraft and things that went bump in the night were largely discounted as superstitious nonsense. Simple fairy tales told to frighten children. But in Gévaudan, by and large, the people still believed in the old ways. They believed in ghosts and witches, curses and devils, and they believed in monsters. Oh yes, they believed in monsters, all right. Between 1764 and 1767, the people of Gévaudan were terrorized by their very own monster. This isn't some fairy tale either. All this really happened. During those three years, a creature straight out of people's worst nightmares stalked the locals, and may have been responsible for killing and eating more than a hundred people. As the story spread and word of the creature became more well-known throughout France, it became known as Le Bête de Gévaudan. The Beast of Jevedon. Or more often, simply, La Bête. The Beast. I'm Nate Hale, and my, what big teeth you have, Grandma. And this is The Conspirator's. Today, we still don't know precisely what sort of creature the beast was, or where it came from. Theories range from a single large wolf, to a hungry pack of wolves, to hyenas, large exotic cats, long extinct prehistoric animals, serial killers dressed in animal skins, and the most common theory among the superstitious locals, Leluguru, better known today as a werewolf. Modern conservationists will often discount the normal wolf theory out of hand. Wolves, they will tell you, are shy creatures who rarely, if ever, would attack a human. But things were very different in Europe a few centuries ago. Wolf attacks were common among settlers moving into remote regions, and literally thousands of people were known to be attacked and killed by them. This would eventually drive Europeans to put a bounty on wolves, and the resulting hunting of them would drive them into near extinction. But back in Jevadon in 1764 with so many people making their living raising sheep and cattle and other potential food sources the possibility of a wolf attack was very real. The difference with the beast of Jevadon was that the creature didn't seem to like sheep or cattle very much. Whatever the creature was, it seemed to have acquired a taste for human flesh and would often avoid the livestock entirely and go straight for the owner. Even worse, The beast seemed especially particular in its choice of prey. Most of the beast's victims were women and children. Adult men, it pretty much left alone. It was known to often strike in broad daylight, launching itself on top of its intended victim and going straight for the throat. In many cases, the beast would fully decapitate its victim. The first person known to encounter the beast was a young girl out tending cattle on a June day near the Mercoir forest in the eastern part of Gévedon. The details of her encounter are a little vague, but the story goes that the beast rushed at her from out of the forest, but she was saved by some of her bulls who charged at the creature and drove it away. It was a little less than a month later, in July, that the beast claimed its first known victim, a 14-year-old boy named Jean Belay. On August 8th, a 15-year-old girl was killed, followed by a 16-year-old boy a few weeks later. In September, the beast killed a 36-year-old woman, followed by four more children. Because wolf attacks were common back then, along with the many miles distance between attacks, the locals didn't begin to put together that anything unusual was going on until this particular string of killings occurred. The local government in charge of the region tried to organize a citizen's watch for the beast, but weren't able to find many volunteers. This stood to reason since the local citizens would have been hunting the creature with farm implements like shovels and axes. The law forbade the peasants from owning firearms. It wasn't until the local governors offered to pay the locals that they managed to locate a few volunteers. A dragoon captain named Jean-Baptiste Duhamel, who was stationed near Gévedon, organized his soldiers to hunt for the beast. By October of that year, news reports and local gossip had begun to shift the description of the creature from that of a wild animal to something much more mysterious. Newspapers began printing grisly and sensational descriptions of the creature's attacks. At first, they referred to it as Le bête de Gévardin, the beast of Gévardin, but later, shortening even that to simply Le bête, the beast. Sometimes, even more ominously, they take it a step further and refer to it as le monstre, the monster. On October 7th, another body was discovered, that of a 27-year-old woman. It took nearly a week to find her head. In the days that followed, half a dozen more teenagers and a 10-year-old boy were attacked. Most of them died. Although it became common knowledge that women and children throughout the region should never leave the house unaccompanied, this proved completely impractical for the realities of day-to-day survival. Back then, everyone, men, women, and children alike in the rural community, had jobs to do, and it simply wasn't possible for able-bodied men to keep constant watch over the women and children who had their own daily workload. The hunting parties killed many wolves during this time, but none of them proved to be the beast, since the human bodies kept piling up. Even Jean-Baptiste Duhamel, the dragoon captain, began speaking of the beast in supernatural terms since he was so convinced of his own prowess as a hunter that no natural creature could possibly have evaded him. He became even more frustrated when he personally managed to track down what he believed to be the beast and had it in his gun sights. When some other members of his party stumbled upon him in the woods and scared the creature away. Witnesses and survivors of the beast only added to the mystery by giving a variety of widely varying descriptions of the creature. Some people claimed it had reddish fur with a long stripe down its back. Others described it as having long talons on strangely human-like paws. Still others said it walked bipedally on its hind legs, while others insisted it walked on all fours. One thing that remained common among most description, whatever the creature was, it was much larger than your typical wolf. The problem with all this eyewitness testimony was something any modern-day police detective can attest to. Witness descriptions are often wildly inaccurate due to the peculiar ways in which human memory works. In late October, a group of hunters tracked down a large wolf and shot it several times. But despite being shot, the wolf still managed to escape capture, and the hunters were unable to find the body. This only added to the suspicions that some people had that the creature was supernatural in origin. The deaths continued, and desperate hunters began actually using the victim's bodies to try to bait the beast. Naturally, the victim's loved ones objected, and the tactic failed miserably as well. By January of 1765, Jean-Baptiste Duhamel tried a new tactic, sending some of his soldiers out into the woods dressed as women, since the beast seemed to prefer attacking women over men. But this was another tactic that ultimately proved a failure. Duhamel's desperation only grew as the attacks continued, And in February 1765, he organized a massive hunt involving more than 20,000 people throughout the region. One small hunting party claimed to have tracked and shot the beast, but it managed to slip away again when another group that should have been on duty in the creature's path decided to stay home because of poor weather that day. Duhamel arranged a smaller hunting party a few days later that focused its attention on the area where the beast was last seen. While they were searching the area, another teenage girl was killed while out feeding her livestock. Duomel then went to where the girl was killed and tried to use her body as bait, but this failed to bring the creature out of hiding as well. By now, Duomel's reputation as a hunter and a leader was being tarnished by his inability to catch the beast. He doubled down on his insistence that the creature had to be some sort of demon from hell. There could be no other explanation for how it had managed to escape his massive hunting operation. Word of Duhamel's failure to catch the beast reached King Louis XV. The King was disturbed both by the descriptions of the vicious killings, and also by the potential for civil unrest if the killings continued. It didn't help that in March of that year, the London Chronicle published a satirical article lampooning the French government's inability to kill the beast. The article stated that the beast had devoured the entire French army, artillery and all. The King of France was not pleased, to say the least. So King Louis dispatched a professional hunter by the name of Deneval to the region. Deneval was soon joined by the 16-year-old son of a local farmer, Jacques Denis, who was desperate for revenge after the beast killed his 20-year-old sister a few months earlier. In March and April, 14 more people were killed and eaten by the beast. One death in particular managed to rankle and shame Denoval and the other hunters who had been hunting the beast. A pregnant mother and her children were playing in their garden one sunny spring day, when the beast leaped over a hedge and snatched the mother's six-year-old away. Desperate mother raced after the beast as it fled with her child in its jaws. She reportedly threw herself onto the beast's back and began beating it with her fists. One of the mother's older children ran into the house and grabbed a lance and the family sheepdog and gave chase as well. The mother and child managed to force the beast to drop the six-year-old and flee. Unfortunately, the six-year-old didn't survive. News spread of the attack, and the fact that a pregnant mother and her child had done more than most of the adult male hunters in attacking the beast became a source of public shame. Deneval, who hadn't really accomplished much during his time hanging out in the region, began poisoning the victims' bodies and leaving them out as bait. But this didn't work either, and only managed to further enrage the locals. In May 1765, the beast went on a rampage at a spring fair. It attacked and killed a friend of Jacques-Denis, a young lady named Marguerite. Angry locals, led by Jacques, grabbed pitchforks and axes and unleashed hounds to track the creature. So the story goes, Jacques managed to corner the beast and attack it with a bayonet. But the creature appeared to be impervious to the blade. The beast surely would have killed Jacques had not more hunters arrived and scared it away. Shortly after this attack, Deneval the hunter had enough, and he gave up his search for the beast and left, his reputation as a hunter in ruins. The beast went on another rampage not long after that, killing a 14-year-old boy, a 45-year-old woman, and carrying off a small child. King Louis was furious, and this time he sent his personal gun carrier, Antoine de Bertoin, to Jevenon, with orders to slay the beast at any cost. Bertrand used dogs and enlisted the aid of the locals to try to hunt the beast throughout the summer of 1765. In September of that year, Bertrand managed to track down a massive wolf that he said was so large, he at first mistook it for a donkey. He shot the wolf with a long-barreled rifle, but this only managed to anger the wolf and Bertrand had to back off in order to avoid becoming another victim. Another member of his party managed to get off another shot and killed the wolf. They brought the body back to town, and many witnesses agreed that yes, this was indeed the beast they had seen. Word spread that the beast had been killed, and so did the stories of its size grow. With each telling of the tale, the beast was described as being bigger and more ferocious than the last. They attempted to preserve the body and deliver it to Versailles, but by the time the remains got there, people were more than a little underwhelmed by the size of the creature, which was nowhere near the hulking monstrosity they'd been expecting. Bertrand remained in the region for several more weeks and kept hunting wolves, just in case the creature had any offspring. And to his credit, for a couple of months at least, no more attacks were reported. Then in December 1765, three more children were attacked, one of whom, a little girl, died. So for two more years, the attacks continued and the death toll grew. Now keep in mind, it's impossible to tell for sure how many of these deaths were the work of the beast and how many others were just typical animal attacks. Some scholars claim that the beast attacks claimed as many as 113 lives during the three years it was active, while others set the number around 60. In the summer of 1867, a local hunter named Jean Chastel shot and killed a large wolf, claiming once again that this was the one and only beast. One interesting side note to the story is that as the story became retold over time, Chastel's hunt became more exaggerated, and one story in particular became part of folklore forever after. You see, during one of the many retellings of the tale, someone claimed that the bullet Chastel used was made of silver. Back then, a silver bullet wasn't yet part of the folklore surrounding werewolves, but silver was considered an effective weapon against witches, It wasn't until the 20th century that Hollywood screenwriters heard the story of the silver bullet killing the wolf and used it in early horror movies. Afterwards, it became part of the common lore that a silver bullet was the one sure way to kill a werewolf. Sadly, the reality is, Chastel's bullet was most likely a typical lead shot. Like Bertrand before, John Chastel brought the wolf's corpse he killed back to the village and found a number of locals who once again claimed that, yes indeed, this was really the beast they'd all seen. Chastel was so convinced that he would be rewarded for bringing this nightmare to an end that he delivered the wolf's body to the court at Versailles. Only this time the wolf was not anywhere near as well preserved as the one Bertrand killed, and the king was not at all pleased with this smelly, rotten animal corpse Chastel brought before him. What happened to those particular wolf remains is uncertain. Some historians many years later discovered a dusty stuffed specimen in the Museum of Natural History of Paris that some people claimed was the creature Chastel killed. This was no wolf, though. It was identified as a striped hyena, native to northern Africa. One of the many theories about what the beast might have been was that it was an escaped hyena from a private menagerie. The problem with this theory is that hyenas are by nature scavengers, not hunters. On the other hand, there are some people who have claimed that the Chastelles had kept a pet hyena, and that they trained it to kill. In this version of events, Chastel raised the animal, trained it to kill humans, then ultimately killed it in order to become a hero. There's little evidence to prove this though, other than some stories that have been handed down throughout the generations. Other similar stories have claimed that Chastel actually crossbred a hyena or a wolf with his pet mastiff and unleashed the creature on the countryside in order to get others to go out and hunt and kill all the wolves that had been preying on his own livestock. A recent National Geographic article theorized that the beast might actually have been a juvenile lion. This would actually fall more in line with some of the descriptions of the creature, including its size, ability to leap great distances, reddish-brown color, and even the stripe down its back. All these things fit the description of a juvenile lion quite well. As crazy as it sounds, this theory actually bears some merit. While lions were a known animal in France at the time, few people had ever actually seen one, much less a juvenile. Even Jean-Baptiste Duhamel, the dragoon captain, speculated in one letter that the creature he'd witnessed resembled a lion. If there is any truth to this theory, we're still left with the questions of not knowing how a lion came to be wandering the French countryside nor what happened to it after 1767 when the attacks appeared to end. No remains of a lion were ever reported found. Other, even more wild theories about the beast's origin include it being a long, extinct prehistoric animal, such as the thylacine or Tasmanian tiger. Although it's highly unlikely, we can't fully discount the possibility that a Tasmanian tiger might have been alive in the region. Grainy film footage from the early 20th century exists that appears to show what might be the last known Tasmanian tiger still alive and in captivity. But again, in the case of the beast of Javadon, there is really no evidence to support it being any sort of prehistoric creature. Yet another theory suggests that the beast wasn't really an animal at all, but a man. This theory claims that a crazed serial killer stalked the Javadon region wearing the skins of an animal which would play into the witnesses who claimed to see the creature walking on two legs. But this theory seems just as far-fetched as most of the others. There's just no evidence that this was all the work of some crazed human killer. And in fact, the victim's remains point very directly toward the beast being some sort of animal. In 2011, historian and author J.M. Smith published a comprehensive history of the attacks, Monsters of the Javadon." In the book, Smith makes a compelling case that the beast was actually the work of a pack of hungry wolves, and that local superstition and a sensationalized press helped perpetuate the idea that all the attacks were the work of a single monster. A pack of wolves would explain how so many killings occurred, and over such a broad region. There is one more story that bears mentioning, even though its origins are difficult to trace and is almost certainly just another part of the folklore that sprung up in the centuries that followed. Fans of old horror movies will notice that parts of this story sound strangely familiar. So the story goes that in 1764, a count named Gatulio Vargo met a young gypsy woman near the Auvergne Mountains in south-central France. Count Vargo considered himself something of a ladies' man, And he first tried seducing the young woman, but when she rebuffed him, he went ahead and dragged her into the woods by her hair and raped her. The young woman's brothers came upon them and nearly beat the count to death. The count fled, but not before one of the men from the gypsy caravan cursed him as he ran off into the night. As the count stumbled through the woods in the dark, he was met by an enormous hairy creature that stood on its hind legs. The creature lunged at the count and bit down on his shoulder with its massive jaws, The creature would have surely killed him had there not been a woodsman out walking in the area with his dog. The woodsman's dog left his master's side and rushed at the creature and bit its leg. The startled monster released the count and turned its attention on the dog, picking it up in its clawed hands and tearing out its throat. Afterwards, the creature fled into the woods, leaving the startled woodsman standing over the dead body of his dog and the barely living body of the count. The woodsman carried the count to safety, even though he was certain that the man would soon bleed to death. Only that's not what happened. In the month that followed, the count's wounds healed remarkably quickly. Far quicker than the local physicians had ever seen before. And as the count's wounds healed and his strength returned, so did his appetite. Back in the safety of his castle the count began insisting that his chefs purposefully undercook the meat they brought him for his meals. One of the servants claimed to have witnessed Count Vargo raiding the pantry late one night and devouring an entire raw leg of lamb. This strange behavior went on for a full month, until one day in June, the count mysteriously disappeared from his castle and was never seen again. Shortly thereafter, so the story goes, the killings began in Jevadan. The Conspirators is written and produced by me, Nate Hale, an entirely fictional identity. If you like the show as much as I like bringing it to you, please help support us by subscribing on iTunes and leaving us a positive review. I know podcasts say that sort of thing a lot, but it really helps. You can also always find us on our website, theconspiratorspodcast.com. We're also available on Stitcher and the Google Play Store. Thanks, as always, for listening. And if you're listening to this on the day it was released... Happy Halloween.